This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Hi there. Last week I hosted a Facebook Live event where we discussed the question, if all your basic needs were taken care of, would you live your life differently? About 180 people responded to a poll I put forth, and during the live event, I shared some of the poll results and talked about Ignatian freedom, desire, discernment, and how we managed to find joy and fruit even when we can't necessarily change careers or put aside the reality of finances and certain commitments. Here's the audio from the live feed. You can watch the video at any time at the God and All Things Facebook page. I had put in the uh, uh, description uh, to go ahead and make yourself a cocktail if you're if you if you're interested um, this evening while you're relaxing and watching this. Um, I made myself a cocktail, and I just want to tell you about it. I'm a cocktail lover. My wife and I are kind of cocktail snobs, um, and it is called the Jewel. And I was actually recently asked by a publication. Um, that was going to write about my book, what beverage would you have in hand while reading my book? <clears throat> and I said, the Jewel Cocktail. Um, it's pleasantly refreshing and light because I don't think spirituality always needs to be weighty or heavy. It's accessible to everyone. At the same time, it has great complexity of flavor, mainly because the Jewel uses the, um, the liqueur green chartreuse which is made of 130 different herbs and uh, flowers. So it requires a discerning palate. And also chartreuse is made by the Carthusian monks. And interestingly, St. Ignatius discovered the gifts of discernment while he was reading the life of Christ, which was written by a Carthusian. And also the cocktail is named the jewel and Ignatian spirituality is a jewel for the church. Um, and it's made mixing equal parts of gin, green chartreuse, and sweet vermouth with a dash of orange bitters and garnished with a lime. So if you like cocktails, that's something you can make. has a little bit of an Ignatian connection uh, for you. All right. I want to start with a uh, scripture verse that caught me. Actually, it was in Sunday's gospel reading um, uh, this past Sunday. And it's Jesus' words. He said, I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants us to have a life of abundance and a life of joy. Um, and that is something that is important in Ignatian spirituality for us to consider about our lives. And I've been thinking a lot about the idea of abundance. A few weeks ago, I wrote about uh the idea of abundance in Star Trek, in the Star Trek world, universe. And Star Trek is this society that has moved beyond the need for money or possessions. And there is, um, actually part of this was prompted by my reading this uh, book called Treconomics, about the uh, economics of Star Trek. And it talks about how the Star Trek universe has this abundance uh, mainly because of the the replicator, they can create um, pretty much anything food um, supplies, and so on from from practically nothing, just from energy and matter um, and so in the star trek universe people 's needs are cared for um, and so money and possessions are no longer a distraction for them. they have everything they need, 
yet they still work for the common good. Most people are always trying to better themselves and uh, take up a career or a role that uses their gifts and talents. Um, so because money and possessions are not a distraction, they can actually focus on the good, of the go doing good for humanity, the common good uh, and moral goodness. So, so in the Star Trek universe, they have this ability to do what they enjoy and what gives them life. Um, and I think this is the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about um, when he wants us to have an abundant life. He's talking about an abundance of hope and life-giving joy. And Ignatian spirituality often asks us this question, is what you're doing giving you life and giving you joy? Um, and I asked that question in, in a poll that I put out uh, in the last few days that many of you responded to. Um, and the question was, do you enjoy what you're currently doing, how you're living your life, what you do for work, and so on? And thank you very much to uh, all of you for your responses. Um, it was very um, heartening and moving. Um, many people noticed their privilege, that they were indeed able to do what they uh, would like. Others were aware of situations that limited their freedom uh, to do what gives them joy. And then others talked about the sacrifices that they made for their families. So let me just show you the results of, uh, of the poll and, and what, uh, what people said. We had about 180 responses. Um, overwhelmingly, two-thirds of you said yes you are doing what you love right now. Um, and then the other third said, no, you're not doing what you love. Now, obviously, there is some nuance there. The other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of people who are responding to the poll um, are in ministry <clears throat> or uh, have a, a life of faith and are very intentional about how they're living their lives. So this, this is not scientific. This is just a sort of a curiosity poll. And to break it down by age... You see age in the left-hand column. Um, those who are over 65 overwhelmingly uh, say what they're doing they love. Now, many of those people can be retired, I'm sure. Um, look at that age. Look at that 35 to 49 years old. Um, about half said they're doing what they love, and half said they weren't. Uh, and then the um, younger uh, age group said, yes, they 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 are overwhelmingly doing what they love. Um, the other question I asked was, how much is your current work or occupation based on the need for financial security? A large number, about a quarter of the respondents, said very much so. You're, you're doing what you're doing because of uh, financial, the need for financial security. Um, but I was also pleasantly surprised by the number of people who responded uh, that what they're doing is not at all based on the need for financial security. Those people are more likely to be um, doing something that they really enjoy and love. Here it is broken down by age, and you can kind of see at the 35 to 49 year old range, um, many of those people, what they're doing is based on the need for financial security. Um, one could garner that at that point in life you have a larger family, and that there are some uh, greater needs and, and things to be 
uh, concerned about. So, <coughs> uh, see, I think the fact that um, in Star Trek, in the Star Trek world, there's there's this world of abundance. Um, Right, they've moved beyond this need for for money or things, and they can be focused on, on being productive and working for the common good. And this idea is proposed um, in, a, in in the political realm uh, with the idea of a basic minimum income, a guaranteed minimum income, uh, which provides for one's basic needs, and it's universal, and there are no qualifications. Um, and what I want to do is I want to post. Um, share with you a link uh, to a Commonweal article um, about this, uh, if I can comment here, uh, Commonweal had an article about the basic um, minimum income and uh, let me just share that with you here. Um, it's an interesting concept um, and what I want to do is I'm going to share with you a quote from it. Um, and the article, the article talked about um, it not being a safety net, but a floor from which people can grow. And so such a minimum income is not, not going to be a lot, I'm sure, just to cover your basic needs. But what it does is similar to what the Star Trek economy uh, provides for. It maximizes freedom. And here's a quote from the article. Basic income is not a poverty reduction program. It is a freedom maximization program. Its purpose is to increase options for everyone in both work life and intimate life. So it allows us to ask a question that I've been considering lately when it comes to discernment. If all your basic needs were taken care of, what would you want to do in life? For many, um, Work becomes a uh, means to survival, paying bills, rent, uh, feeding one's family, right? But what if you had the money for that? What if that was taken care of? You might choose then to do what you truly love or are good at. And this is a really important exercise in discernment, I think. Um, Many people who responded, some of the people who responded to the poll, um, talked about this worry regarding financial insecurity, right? Um, take a look at, right, how many people are doing what they're doing because of financial security. They may not be doing what they love. Um, and they worry so much that it becomes worse. And this is what's called the scarcity trap. Um, the podcast uh, Hidden Brain had a uh, had a podcast on this uh, that actually is very interesting, and I'm going to post the link for that as well. And what it says is actually the more you um, worry about uh, things that you're lacking, the worse uh, it actually can become, and because it consumes your life, and so you can't even focus on what you're. Um, what you want to do or what you're good at. When I asked the question, <clears throat> what would you do? If, uh, would you do something different? What would it be? Many people talked about the desire to travel or be with family or to volunteer more. 
um, or to really engage in a career or a job that it, that uh, use their skills and talents and abilities. Um, and there is a many people actually also wrote about leisure time, right? Um, there's a there's a necessity for leisure time. Um, and I'm going to post yet another link. I listen to a lot of podcasts about the right to free time. Um, we need we need leisure time. We need free time. We need prayer time in order to reflect on how we're living our life. Um, and so these uh, these questions are extraordinarily important for us when we consider. Um, how our um, everyday life, family life, work life intermeshes with our spiritual life. Um, being a contemplative in action means that your prayer and contemplation and reflection is going to inform how you live your life. And your life is going to inform your prayer and your reflection. Um, so what is freedom? What is Ignatian freedom? Um, well, let's first read Ignatius's principle and foundation at the beginning of the spiritual exercises. He says, uh, for this it is necessary to make ourselves indifferent to all created things in that it is allowed to the choice of our free will and is not prohibited to it. So that on our part, we want not health rather than sickness, riches rather than poverty, honor rather than dishonor, long rather than short life, and so in all the rest desiring and choosing only what is most conducive for us to the end for which we are created. So what Ignatius here is talking about is, um, first of all, indifference. In Ignatian, indifference is sort of not attaching ourselves to one thing or another, um, being free to what God might present to us in our prayer and in our life. Um, and not preferring one thing over another. Uh, he talked about not preferring health over sickness, riches over poverty, that kind of thing. So freedom in the Ignatian sense, it's, a, it's, it's honoring our free will, that God gives us free will. God gives us the ability to make choices in our lives, that we need to be indifferent to the choices before us, and that we should let go of any disordered or unhealthy attachments we may have that are holding back, holding us back. Now, sometimes um, money and possessions and things can hold us back. <clears throat> sometimes that's a, a reality which we'll address. Um, but um, this is what Ignatian freedom is. So. The question proposed to us gives, uh, gives, gives us and frees us from the worry of money and having enough money for retirement and having enough things and comfort. Uh, and again, the question I'm referring to is this, if all your basic needs were taken care of, what would you do in life? Um, this question frees us from those burdens. And so it is more of a prayerful spiritual exercise to ask ourselves and pray with that question. And for many people who responded to the poll, um, I think it was a kind of prayer for them. It was a chance for people to prayerfully reflect. Um, there were some really deep personal responses um, 
that was was quite moving for me. Um, is the question unrealistic? Perhaps, but I think what the question does is it helps us be aware of our desires, um, what we're good at, what we want to do, how we want to help others in the world. Many people who responded to the poll uh, overwhelmingly said that if they weren't concerned about money or finances, they would do something uh, that helps others. They would want to be in a more of a helping profession, more outwardly focused. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so what is desire, right? Uh, this is another uh, sort of Ignatian buzzword, is what do we desire in life, right? Um, what do we really want to do? Are we doing what we want to do? Well, what do we desire uh, deeply? Um, now, many, uh, many people talk about this idea of God's will. I want to know what God's will is for my life. Um, and that's perfectly legitimate and beautiful. But I want to, um, I want to maybe shift the language from God's will to desire. And the reason for that is I think God's will uh, imagines us as sort of passive recipients of a vocation or a calling. Um, that we're just waiting for God to say something and tell us what God's will is and then we do it. The word desire, on the other hand, it involves us in the discernment process. It involves us in the discernment process. God is asking us, what do we desire? We ask ourselves, what does God desire? Um, and then we go from there. Consider the um, encounter of Jesus and Bartimaeus, the blind man. Um, and Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus. And Jesus goes to him. And he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Right? That's his question. He, Jesus might, have, might as well have been asking, what do you desire? And now, Jesus already knows what Bartimaeus wants. Bartimaeus wanted sight. Um, but he wants to involve Bartimaeus in the discernment process. And so he asks him the question, essentially, what do you desire? What do you want in your life? Um, and so when we use that language of, uh, of desire, um, it helps us take an assessment of our lives, our gifts, and what gives us joy. Simply by asking ourselves, what do we desire, deeply desire in life? Oh, we, we reflect on our lives, we reflect on our gifts and our abilities, and what gives us joy. Um, now, uh, there was a question <coughs> that came up uh, uh, on a Facebook comment questioning, is this, is this selfish? Is this a selfish um, thing to do uh, just to consider um, you know, doing what I want to do in life or what I'm good at or what I enjoy? Um, is it selfish to consider something, doing something that you enjoy? Well, <clears throat> I don't think so. Uh, I think it could get there. But when we talk about Ignatian desire in its depth, we're talking about um, a heart-level uh, heart 
kind of uh, desire. And it's a desire that's in line with God's desire. It's not about selfish wants. The um, Frederick uh, Buechner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So it's not so selfish. It's about our gladness, our joy, but it's also where that joy and gladness meets the needs of the world. That is what Ignatian discernment is about. It's where our desires meet God's desires meets the desires of the world. And so um, it's quite a profound thing. Um, some of you may know Michael Himes, who's a uh, priest theologian who teaches at Boston College, and he has this famous three questions that he, he asks uh, regarding discernment. He says, do you find joy in what you do? Are you good at it? And do people need it? So let's break this down. Um, do you find joy in what you do? Many of you answered that question on the poll. Okay. Are you good at it? Um, why would God call us to something where we don't have the talents? Right? Hopefully, if we're cultivating our talents, then we're finding joy in our work. Consider the parable of the talents, right? The essential um, message of that parable of Jesus is that we need to invest in our talents and our gifts, um, not just bury them and put them aside, right? Many of us do that um, because maybe we've been in a job for so long we don't really like it or we're in a situation there's that sort of uh, sunk cost um, and we realize, okay, I could be doing something different that engages my talents more, but we've been in something so long, it's just it's sort of too much effort to, to go beyond that, right? Um, so maybe we're doing something that we're really not good at. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? God wouldn't want us necessarily to be in a position where we're doing something where we don't have the gifts for. And then the third question is, do people need it? Um, <clears throat> Michael Himes, he gives this example of a shepherd in a big city. And he says, you know, you might be very good at shepherding. That's wonderful. Um, it gives you joy. You're good at it. But when you're in an urban city, the people there don't need that. So it doesn't really make sense. So perhaps you need to find a place, a more rural area, where your shepherding would provide more value to the people that you're uh, that you're serving. Um, so <clears throat> that's those are three very important questions for us to ask when we're considering any kind of uh, decision um, or career choice or that kind of thing. Um, my wife and I we're going to be um, we're in California now we're going to be moving to Atlanta to work with the Jesuits there in faith formation. And part of our discernment, we asked ourselves these questions. What we're doing right now, do we find joy in what we do? Right? Um, we thought, well, maybe, yeah, we do. We, have, we find some joy. Um, but, you know, maybe there could be some more joy. Are we good at what we're doing? Certainly. Um, but 
it's maybe our jobs aren't using our skills and talents in 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 their fullest sense. Um, and then, do people need what what gifts we have to offer, right? Um, and then, keeping that in mind as we go about any kind of job search or discernment uh, to move. Um, so, uh, another thing. Um, uh, some advice, actually. I was on the Jesuitical podcast. I'm actually going to play a clip for you in a little bit. Um, but I was asked, what advice would you give to millennials, uh, young people, about discernment? Um, I think many young people, um, and just <coughs> many people in general, uh, feel that we, you know, you've got to have everything figured out now. You know, when you enter university or you leave, you graduate, you've got to figure out what your career is, and it ha everything has to be set. I don't think that's true. Nothing. Ha the thing, the best advice I have is that nothing has to be permanent. There are things that can be changed, and I'll talk about that in a moment about making a nation election decision of things that can be changed or cannot be changed. Um, but if you are in a situation that you realize this is not using my gifts, I'm not finding joy in this. Then you need to ask yourself, can I make a change? What can I change about this? Um, and to really enter into an Ignatian discernment about that. Um, I mentioned in my book, God Moments, about this idea of a blank page that as uh, uh, that Disney Imagineers like this idea, and it helps them just this blank page. Just they can dream. There's all these possibilities. They can put whatever they want down on this paper. Um, God gives us this blank page and asks us to sort of lay out our dreams, um, to put our gifts, to write down our desires, and to kind of look that over with God and make that a part of the discernment process, right? Um, what do we desire? And so um, I think that's a wonderful exercise. <clears throat> and my wife and I in uh, next month are going to be leading a teen retreat. And this is kind of going to be the theme of our retreat. And we're going to ask that question. If all your basic needs were taken care of, food, clothing, shelter, finances, what would you do in life? It really frees you to be able to, uh, you know, acknowledge what your, what your desires are. Um, so on the Jesuitical podcast, um, we talked about how discernment in making choices is often a privilege. Um, whether it's moving across the country or switching jobs or what have you, it really can be a privilege. And what about those situations or those, those people who, for one reason or another, are not able to make those same kinds of choices because of financial realities or family commitments or um, difficult situations. Um, so let me play for you a clip from the Jesuitical podcast where they asked me about this question. I just want to play like devil's advocate in terms of Ignatian spirituality. So whenever I encounter different spirituality writers um, in this vein, I get thrown back to uh, what my therapist and then later like my high school counselor and then my college counselor said, which is like, Ashley, like you have so much going for you. You're smart. Your parents have like given you all these things like the only burden in your life is going to be the burden of choice. And it's really it's like a luxury. It's a luxury of choice that I have been given. Um, and a lot of Ignatian spirituality seems like a really great 
answer to that to that burden a good a good way to think through having more than one good option so that's that's great for me but like what is it what does it offer people who have l- less options? Well, I would say that's like a failure of the imagination to think that people don't have options. Okay. Totally. Yeah. To think that we are the only, we have different, I mean, we have different options. We have different choices, but I think, I don't think it's too but difficult to consider. There is a reality I mean, the- that it is a privilege, right? Discern- discernment is a privilege because, you know, uh, not everyone can uh, just pick up and move across the country for a new job. Um, or have the means necessarily to do that. Um, but even, even in Ignatian discernment, in the exercises, Ignatius has a, a place where he says that, you know, if, there's, if, you're, if you're in a situation that you can't change, um, you can still pray for the, affirma- or the confirmation to stay in that state of life or that place you are. Um, and so that, uh, that, I think, you know, for those who perhaps don't necessarily have that privilege of choice, they can pray for that confirmation that, you know, uh, either to stay in that same place or to maybe shift the way they approach their, their work or their situation. Mm-hmm. So um, it is a privilege, right? Not everyone can change careers or move to a different place. They may not have the means for that. Reality can prevent uh, true dreaming and recognizing one's gifts, interests, talents, that kind of thing. I, I get that. That That is a reality. Um, and actually in my uh, my book, I, I'm in my chapter on discernment, I mention uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life with George Bailey, right? He's got these great dreams to be an explorer. He wants to travel the world. Um, he just got married. He's got this load of cash that he's going to travel and do a lot of great things. But then his father dies, and the building and loan um, that his father ran is going to be bought over by a greedy mogul. And what does he do? Does he help save his father's business, which is going to provide affordable housing and, and, and loans to the townsfolk? Or is he going to you know, go after his dreams uh, and desires of traveling the world? Um, it's a difficult situation. Um, but what George Bailey discovers is that when he takes over his, his father's building and loan business and he helps his community, he discovers a new vocation. He discovers a talent and a gift that he, he didn't realize that he had um, and that he deeply cares about the people in his community and his town that he's serving. Um, I want to read for you an excerpt from the spiritual exercises where Ignatius talks about circumstances um, where uh, we're not able to make a change. He says, in the unchangeable election, which has already been once made, such as marriage, the priesthood, etc., there is nothing more to choose because one cannot release himself. Only it is to be seen uh, to that if one have not made his election duly and ordinately and without disordered tendencies, repenting, let him see to living a good life in his election. So in other words, if you're in a situation that you can't change for one reason or another, or there's something preventing you from 
you know, getting that different job or, or doing something different or living, you know, those your gifts and talents in a different way. Um, can you live that out, what you're doing, uh, joyfully? And can you commit to that? And can you find... Um, can you find some confirmation from God in what you're already doing? Or perhaps um, asking for a grace to approach what you're doing a little differently. Um, are there other ways you could engage your gifts and talents? Um, now for some, if you think about it, having a job, and let's say it's a job that's, this. here's a financial need and I can't get out of this. Uh, this is I have to do this job. Can you perhaps separate your job with the financial need from your vocation and hobbies and other interests? That might be a way for, uh, for some to sort of live out what Ignatius's words are. Um, David, I want to read you David Fleming's version uh, of, of what I just had in the exercises. This is a great version of the exercises. Um, if you're familiar with the exercises and you want to sort of read a more contemporary translation, here's the David Fleming version of what I just read you for Ignatius. David Fleming says, with regard to a permanent commitment already made, or perhaps something you know unchangeable that you can't kind of get out of at the moment, our basic attitude should be that the only choice still called for is the wholehearted gift of self to this state of life. Let me read that once more to let it sink in. With regard to a permanent commitment already made, our basic attitude should be that the only choice still called for is the wholehearted gift of self to this state of life. Now, in the poll that I put out, some commented that they're in dark places. They're inhibited from doing what they want because of a disability or a marriage they can't get out of uh, or a loss of independence of some sort. And so the, the question, perhaps, that might be worth praying with is this. Given your situation, even with its limits, what can you do that brings you joy or helps you give the gift of self to others? Many of us are in dark places. Many of us are in just complicated situations that we can't change. And that choice and discerning is a privilege that we just don't have at the moment. What can we do that brings us enjoyment? Maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's something within our own family. Um, I, I want to conclude this event with the idea of magis, which is a Latin word for more, which is a Jesuit word. Um, and one uh, responder to my poll captured this well. They said, what more is God calling me to do? We often have this question. It may not be something grand. It could be a way to find joy and fruit 
by finding a way to love others in a new way, or finding joy in making time for prayer, or simply the exercise of assessing your gifts and talents and thanking God for those unique gifts. It's something to think about. Um, I want to thank um, Thang Pham. He says, great topic. I'm in this situation. Thank you for using St. Ignatius' spiritual exercises as your base when you talk about discerning. You know, Ignatian spirituality has, has really changed my life. Um, and so I do encourage you to all to learn more about it. Um, so we talked a little bit about freedom. We've talked about desire, that it's not a selfish kind of desire. It's a desire um, where your gladness and joy meets the world. Let me put up that Frederick Buchner quote again. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. Beautiful. Thanks for listening. I want to let you know that if you're an ebook person, the ebook version of my book, God Moments, is available now for $4.99 at Amazon through May the 19th. It'll soon be that price on Barnes & Noble as well, so be sure to get a copy at this price. Also, discover other resources, audio meditations, prayer aids, and other things at ignatianresources.com. If you're a first-time customer, use the promo code PODCAST for 10% off.